You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 73. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hello, hello! Oh, what's happened to Hasten Hasten? Hasten Hasten! <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. You can, you're not allowed. <laughs> okay. Hey, son, hey, son. <laughs> and we have someone else joining us for the for the beginning of the show. What? A surprise? Yeah, What? Lubomir Baburov from Bulgaria. Hi, Lubo. It's been a while. Hey, guys. What's up? It's been a few months, yeah. Yeah, good to have you back on the show. There is a, a special occasion um and then there's a special reason why why you're joining us today would you mind telling us about and us and of course our listeners about it sure so basically i was uh, bugging you guys for the event that we're having in june uh, we'll have a probably largest event to date uh, it's a large uh, pop size slash skeptic event that mm-hmm. will be a whole event and on the 10th of june We'll be doing a bunch of shit uh, from AI to consciousness to uh, space travel, a bunch of different topics, in fact. And we'll have for the first time a discussion panel that's been kind of in the works for the past few months. Mm -hmm. We did some dry runs in a smaller event. We'll be doing uh, an AI type of doom and gloom uh, conference type of thing. Really excited about it. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll... probably have probably more than 600 people will be visiting this year wow no way 600 so that's, that's amazing that's impressive yeah, that's yeah. very big yeah do you expect majority of these people to come from bulgaria or around the country or do you expect some guests from abroad fairly exclusively from bulgaria to be honest this is i mean once people from beyond bulgaria to visit um that's probably a good idea even now although short notice Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of content for people that are English speaking. I mean, at least that it can handle English speaking. Both the discussion panel and three of the four presentations will be in English. Mm, good. We have to tell our listeners that you were very kind to invite us to to this, and unfortunately, none of us can make it. <laughs> so that's that's a shame. Yeah, but thank you for thinking about us, and we do appreciate that. And um, also, we just wanted to say to every all of our listeners if you are interested guys um go on the website because you've got a website now set up for the conference and um i'll have a look the speakers list is there the um the themes that are going to be discussed it looks it looks really good um yeah, by the really way does. for those of our listeners who will are interested and want to fly from london specifically because <laughs> obviously i was checking the london prices um the return ticket to sophia is 75 quid So that's not too oh, bad. It's, it's, yeah, it's manageable. Not, it's, it's, it's manageable. You know, flying on a Friday, coming back on a Sunday. So, um, yeah. Just just one thing, Lubo. Um, do you have any plans to actually grow this into a, um, an Eastern European yearly gathering somewhat similar to, to those that we all know of and we all love, like, like QED? So that is something that could be a very popular thing to do. 
So actually, I've been thinking about that since we last spoke because you kind of yeah. asked me that same question. I know, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Keep pushing. <laughs> actually, that's that, that's probably a good idea. I'm not sure if it's possible um, to do that uh, just on its own. I think the way we have we have our event set up right now that is mm-hmm. uh, self-sustained based on local sponsors and patrons mm-hmm. and uh, visitors. I think that's that has to be maintained. But what we will do for uh, big events this year, uh, which will be either the last Saturday of October or the first Saturday of November, we have to finalize the date in June is we'll cover only in the English-speaking lineup. So basically four out of four will be um, both scientists and skeptics from Europe and the US. What we'll be able to do is have a series of partners starting from August, uh, both in terms of hotels and transportation and stuff. So it will be much, much easier for if somebody wants to visit from, say, the UK or Germany or wherever in Europe, uh, we'll have easy access to accommodation and amenities and stuff. So that it actually makes sense for you to plan this ahead a few months in time. Mm-hmm. And I will give this the best shot I can give it, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, next. Do you, do, just, you know, if you don't want to or you think it's not time yet, do, did you uh, confirm any big names for October yet? Actually, one of the ones that uh, we've been approaching for June won't be able to join us in June. I told you who it was, but I can't really say it for October. Um, but at odds, uh, we'll have a few pretty big names for October, yes. That is just not something I can say no, before have them booked. Yeah. Finally, and the money pays. I understand. Oh. All right. Well, yeah. if, if you uh, tell us nearer the time, the dates, uh, we'll promote the, you know, promote it in our show. Um, and if we can, we can even maybe try to, to make it ourselves. Will it be uh, in Sofia again? Yes. Yes. Well, it's organizing a large event in Sofia is basically really, really reasonable in terms of pricing because I've actually looked into doing this in Germany and the UK and a few countries, Czech Republic as well. And it's fucking expensive. Jesus. Very Very expensive. So the QED QED is selling like, you know, obviously they're they're actually conference prices reasonable. But staying in Manchester is very pricey if you want to stay. And getting there. Yeah. And getting there as well. And getting there. It's... uh, No, I actually... For, I mean, uh, you, you say it's acute, it's reasonable, fair enough. I mean, it depends on on your income, I guess. Yeah. But for our conference, it's realistic that given what we can tell about tickets and uh, hotels, etc., a three-day stay, both with tickets for the for the show and for uh, plane tickets, etc., should be less than about 250 euros. Hmm. No, you can't put it over in England, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, that's, that's the type of thing you're comparing it with. Yeah, yeah well, sure. It's uh, The Bulgaria, uh, Bulgarian prices are definitely lower than English. We are a Muscat country, and that's amazing for some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. 
Okay, um, that sounds exciting. The only thing that that might be preventing people from from pouring there in large numbers is the fact that uh, autumn uh, is this autumn is going to be very very busy in skepticism. So um, in September there's the European Skeptics Congress. Uh, in October there's the QED. So just a suggestion, if you can, I'm I'm pretty sure um, a November date would be would be the best uh, to go for in that regard yeah i was th- it really depends yeah. Yeah. Mm. i mean i have to coordinate both when the speakers are available yeah when the sure. etc yeah yeah yeah. it's definitely but, not yeah. not an easy easy thing to to put together such a such an event yeah. so yeah well we but um on our side we're hoping to see you at one of these two events either the european skeptic congress in Rot- uh Rotslav or the um, QED in Manchester, if you can make it. Oh, looking forward, yeah. Okay, guys, thanks a bunch for inviting me. Thanks for coming up on the show. Thanks very much. Yeah, do that. Uh, and take care. Hope to hear from you soon. Right. See you. Bye. Take care, Lyubov. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, if someone uh, missed our interview, it was a long, long time ago, uh, because it was on episode number 13. Mm. We had an interview no with way. Yeah. That was like 60 episodes 60, ago. Exactly 60, 60 episodes ago. <laughs> More than a year ago, yeah. actually. All right. Yeah. yeah, so that's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, we discussed uh, the event in detail and, and what's going on there. So uh, please do check out the, 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 the interview and uh, you'll know much more about it. Okay, but... Uh, we are here today to discuss a couple of other things happening in Europe. Since today is Sunday the 7th of May, a great thing has happened. We have French <laughs> elections French elections happened and I'm tracking yeah. the results. And it seems like uh, Macron... Don't well, say that. We'll, don't. We'll be, no, we'll no, that. no, 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 no. Don't say that, Andres. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but don't you say that because this is exactly the picture we saw when the Trump and Hillary were no, no, doing... No, and the no, exit, no, And the exit polls. No, this is different no. because Le Pen has already uh, phoned up and, and congratulated and she is uh, defeated. She has said so. So, so it, it's over. It's over. Yeah. It's, I it's will see. Believe it when and I see it's tomorrow. And it's not only and it's not only the uh, the exit poll results. It's uh, the, the the results are pouring in as we talk. So well, so, last yeah. day I've I've seen was thirty districts out of one hundred and seven. That's still seventy whatever to go. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the 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 ratio was sixty five to thirty five. I saw the so. ratios, but I also saw the ratios with. Anyway, we'll see. <laughs> It's a huge difference. It's a massive difference. It's not going to change. So the world is celebrating now, at least part part of the world, because <laughs> <laughs> that part who is not uh, xenophobic and homophobic and and uh, against uh, refugees and uh, the the European uh, unity. So looks looks good from here. Yeah, but we're so. we're not a still still not a political podcast. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> But it's it's good to have some hope after the last couple of months and the last year or so. So it's good to to see some some positive things happening around Europe. But uh, we we do have a lot of other things to talk about, including um, events and uh, and news. By the way, events. I believe Skepcon is over. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of uh, videos already available. 
uh, and and a couple of uh, things discussed. That's uh, very good. Apparently, there is uh, there are some other things going on in uh, Italy, some of the which will be talked about later on. So, things are happening. So if you go over to our webpage and look at the events uh, page, events in Europe, you will see uh, all about those things, about uh, the skeptics in the pubs coming up, ratio, of course, in Sofia, and other things. So uh, please do that. Um, you can also email us. Our email address um, is info at theesp.eu. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu um, or go on our website uh, like Pontus just mentioned our website is just to, to repeat one more time it's theesp.eu and you can fill in the contact form uh, please also like us on Facebook um, spread the word share our episodes and if you get our podcast via iTunes please leave us a review a nice one please um, <laughs> but also uh, well just any comments really and suggestions yeah good please do that yeah, or if you have anything to promote, just uh, just just do it. Contact us. We'd mentioned the events, and uh, I already mentioned today that um, this autumn will be uh, packed with with all the different uh, skeptical events across Europe. Yeah, it's... Um, there is one to add to this list. Usually, there is uh, the National Convention of uh, Italian Skeptics for Cheekup. Uh, happening around that time mm. but this year it's gonna renamed to Cheek Up Fest mm-hmm. and it will last from the 29th of September to the 1st of October uh-huh. <laughs> so okay. exactly at that time and uh, it's gonna be um, a festival of rationality and facts oh. in Cesena in Italy <laughs> And uh, there is a very nice video on the, the Chicops website and uh, uh, actually on Massimo Polidoro's website uh, with Massimo talking about this event as the president of Chicop. So sounds quite interesting and exciting. Yeah, fantastic to see all the activities that's going on. Uh, it's really great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before we move on, um, I'd like to do another call for action, um, especially for those who live in the UK, because uh, the Charity Commission, we've talked about uh, what the Charity Commission is doing right now about trying to evaluate uh, different charities on the basis of of their activities and their uh, um, actions in promoting um, health-related claims and whether they are uh, eligible for the status of a charity if they uh, promote uh, pseudoscientific claims in, in especially in, ter- in uh, medicine or uh, health related issues so there there are details of this consultation on the charity commission's website and uh, you can submit your ideas suggestions and concerns to legal charitable status at charitycommission.gsi.gov.uk. Uh, it will definitely be added to the show notes, uh, this piece of information. But bear in mind that the deadline for submissions is the 19th of May 2017. So you only have about a week uh, from the, the time this episode goes out. All of which means that we are ready to move on to our actual uh, regular segment. Uh, the first of which is This Week in Skepticism, of course, presented by Yelena. 
Um, last week we have interviewed Alan Hennis from Nightingale Collaboration. Um, and if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, please check it out. It's episode number 72. And um, their name, the, the Nightingale Collaboration, uh, is a tribute to the great Florence Nightingale, who was well known for her commitment to using robust evidence to decide what worked uh, in improving healthcare. Yay. And uh, today I have chosen her to be my on this day person because she was born on the 12th of May 1820, the week that this episode is airing, which is very great coincidence. And I'm very happy mm -hmm. to do that. And great. I was also very happy to learn more about her. She was um, indeed a very incredible uh, woman and uh, science activist and basically worked really hard all of her life to improve lives of others and the healthcare. Um She was uh, born in Florence, Italy in 1820 and brought up in England. And um, although she is best remembered for her work during the Crimean War in 1853, uh, Nightingale fundamentally changed the role of nursing in hospitals and was a key figure in introducing new professional training standards. She took up nursing against the will of her family because back in those days, um, a woman was expected to marry and uh, keep the house, but she wanted to do something else with her life and she chosen the career of nursing. Um, her ideas um, about infection were formed by the experience she gained uh, reorganizing and improving the hygiene standards at the hospitals in Turkey during this war. Um, and uh, when she started her um, career uh, in Turkey, she um, demanded more um, nurses on, on the, in the hospitals and um, better hygiene and she improved um, the hospitals all around. Um, she worked to reduce the numbers of soldiers who were dying from illnesses such as typhus caused by poor standards of cleanliness. I didn't know that but apparently at the time and of course that makes sense because um, that's how science develops. Something called miasmus theory was popular that was propagated at the time um, of how diseases were caused. And they, apparently this theory claims that they, they were caused by the presence in the air of miasma, a poisonous vapor in which um, were suspended particles of decaying matter that was characterized by its foul smell. And so this is what actually Florence Nightingale believed as well. And so when she introduced this new standards of cleanliness, she was driven by this theory, which was fundamentally wrong but she was uh, heading into the right direction and um, although her understanding of the source of infection was wrong uh, Nightingale still helped to improve hygiene standards and um, later on um, of course we know that uh, the this theory was replaced by the germ theory of diseases um, but that's emerged in the second half of the 1800s and gradually replaced this uh, miasma theory um so for all the maybe not so right things that she believed in at the time um she was doing great work and um i'm happy to be talking about her because i always i'm always happy to, to be talking about women in science and um women, sexist <laughs> women who improved lives of others um And um, th there you go. Um, there is a lot more to, to say about her, of course, but um, please um, feel free to research um, other things online about her. Florence Nightingale. Good. Thank you very much, Helena. Pleasure. And let's see what news items we have. 
from the world of skepticism across Europe. So, the first thing we can go to is our friends in the Good Thinking Society, because they have been uh, on the go again. Unbelievable, these guys. Yeah, they are just great. Black salve <laughs> is a substance sold as an alternative cancer treatment on the internet. I'm sure many of our listeners already are aware of this scam. It is black a salve. Black salve. Yeah, it's a very nasty paste or ointment that supposedly removes your malignant melanoma and uh, cancer and, and things like that if you apply it directly on the tumor or on your body. The problem is that it removes much more than that. Uh, it's eating into your flesh, basically, uh, without actually protecting you from the cancer uh, that is spreading. So it's very painful and very dangerous, and it doesn't do what they say it does. Well, Michael Marshall, Marsh to us all, noted that this was sold on eBay under their click and collect service, which is where you can have a, you have a delivery channel. And in this case, uh, so you can go to your local Argos in the UK to pick it up after you've bought it. So he tried it, he ordered some uh, to see if it worked, and he was able to go and get it, complete with instructions and links to YouTube videos, etc. And he documented that he could do that. And uh, after reporting this to the news, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency... I was going to mention them. That's <laughs> uh, quite a mouthful. Where the hell were they looking? <laughs> yeah, now they they ordered eBay after this. They ordered eBay to remove all black salve ads. So uh, this, of course, applies to the UK, and uh, so eBay in the UK. And good thinking will continue to monitor this. If I search for black salve from eBay in Sweden, I still get four hits: one in New Zealand and three in the US. So it's still possible to get it. But overall, it's it's a great win yet again for good thinking. So yay! Well done. So so basically, if they wouldn't brought it to the attention, it it still would have been on the market. Is that am I right? That's right. Now they they have removed the, that channel where you can order it and pick it up uh, through yeah. Argos in in the UK. Scary stuff. Yeah, it's really really not. Don't you know? Everybody does it. Even if you say don't, don't Google black salve. It is the the pics you will see are terrible. Mm. Well, but the, yeah, the, what the good thing in society has done again is absolutely amazing. Mm. So, yeah. But also, what it's showing is that um, in other countries, uh, which countries did you mention? U.S. and Australia. No, uh, New Zealand and U.S. New Zealand. Uh, what people can do and should do if they. Uh, have time they can do exactly the same thing they can contact their local uh, drug administration and healthcare regulatory yeah, and, agency and tip them off and and bring that to their attention because that's all it takes somebody to say uh there is this uh unlicensed medicine being sold that causes yeah. real harm to people so um if somebody's listening from those countries because I think quite often, I think quite often, uh, people don't know what to do when they say when they see something like this. They mm -hmm. see something is happening that possibly is illegal, and they don't know what to do with information. And uh, knowing which agency to go to, etc., helps. Yep, good. This is a very painful subject to talk about because I think there's <laughs> a lot of denying 
is going on and cognitive dissonance um, around it. Um, and it's, of course, the subject of the climate change. Um, mm. so there was an uh, article published on Vox website recently um, titled No Country on Earth is Taking the Two Degrees Climate Target Seriously, which is a very loud article title. Um, and in 2015 in Paris, the um, countries of the world agreed um, that you know, to sign this agreement, the um, climate change agreement, um, and um, everybody were supposed to be working towards um, improving the um, environment um, and reducing the carbon imprint. However, um, the scientists are now ringing the alarms again and saying that we are not doing enough um, and very soon it will be too late. Um, and th this article again goes through the options we have and we've got fewer and fewer options every year we, we read these articles. Um, so, um, you know, some people are saying that we already should be starting um, taking out the... Um, emissions, um, the carbon emissions from um, the environment, um, but we don't have the technology yet, etc. So it's a, it's a very much of a dooms and glooms article about, you know, the, the latest on the on the, uh, global warming. And of course, it's a very timely article because of what's going on in America and how Trump is shouting about uh, renewing the um, jobs in a coal industry. Uh, whereas um, this, when this agreement was set, it was absolutely clear that in order to improve um, the uh, situation, we have to stop uh, being dependent on fossil fuels right now. Like, we don't have any more time. Um, and... I don't know. I I want to obviously shout about it on every corner and try to get people engaged um, in the discussion, but it's kind of hard. Um, and um, also, I think people who are climate deniers, doesn't matter how many evidence you provide to them, they just kind of believe in their denialism even more. And um, I've learned about interesting um psychology thing called backfire effect. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you meet somebody with really strong convictions and you present them with lots of evidence, their convictions, the wrong convictions, become even stronger. So I don't know how we're going to win it, but something has to change really quickly. Um, I think a lot of people are already educated about climate change and what needs to be done. And this article talks about that we have the technology, but all we need is the political will. Except, of course, the political will is a lot to have, like to a lot to have, um, because if you look around us, um, the climate change uh, isn't number one on political agenda anywhere, unfortunately. Um, so yes, just another reminder and another um, concerned um, scientist. <laughs> It all comes down to the same problem again, that political will is not driven by science and facts, it's driven by public opinion. I was going to make a parallel with vaccination crisis in Romania, where they're now looking at some legislation changes because they have this um, massive outbreak of the measles and kids are dying. Now, th that happened... I think slightly too late because they now have loss of life. So I'm thinking what's going to happen with climate change, except of course, we won't be able to react in the same way. When the massive catastrophe will happen, the governments of the, around the world, of the countries will start 
you know, using the new technologies, maybe they'll be un- unproven and uh, not well tested. And it'll j- just be all the rush to, to fix the problem rather than acting now. And that's what my worry is. Yeah, when you, when you drive around on your car, it's uh, absolutely not the impression that you get that uh, we are moving towards getting rid of fossil fuels or, or using fossil fuels. And there was a study published in Nature Communications recently and they looked at solar activity and carbon dioxide levels over the past 420 million years. And uh, they say that by the middle of the century, the, the people will have caused the greatest, the fl- fastest climate change in the last 50 million years. Yeah. And if we burn all the fuel, uh, the, the fossil fuel, that will mean that uh, in in all that 420 million year history, uh, that will be the quick case. So that is absolutely shocking. Yeah. So that is something to be done. And the political will is is going to be there when the, the massive events, the catastrophic events will be much more frequent and there there will be something, to, there will be those problems to tackle and catastrophes to, 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 to keep at bay. That will be a, a different kind of challenge, but whatever. Yeah. Okay, that means that uh, a lot of science communication is needed. Uh, a lot of effort uh, needs to be made uh, in order to to inform the public about these problems. So this is why a lot of uh, organizations um, award prizes for for these kind of activities, and. Um, ERP SAPC, the, the, the one of the Spanish uh, skeptical organizations, uh, our friends over in Spain, they do that annually. Um, they actually award two prizes. Uh, one of them is um, what's called Lupa Esceptica, which is the skeptical magnifying glass. Um, and that is awarded to people um, within the the realm of uh, the the this uh, organization, and who are um, doing uh, very important work in terms of uh, educating the public about stuff. Um, the guy who who Jose M- M- Miguel Mule Salor. Um, was uh, awarded this uh, uh, this year um, on April the 1st uh, at gen- the General Assembly of uh, the members of the organization. And uh, he writes about natural products, uh, food products and uh, GMOs and stuff. So uh, th- th- those very hot topics. And there is another award uh, also given by um, uh, ARPS APC and uh, that is called the Mario Boslavsky Award and uh, that is given to anyone outside the organization who has done very valuable work in terms of uh, educating the public. And this one was given to Natalia Ruiz-Zelmanovic and uh, by the way Mario Boslavsky um, uh, after whom the prize is named uh, used to be um, an scientist of um, Argentinian origin and uh, he was uh, very close to the 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 board members of the organization and he was very well known for his skeptical activism so 
and uh, this uh, person, Natalia Ruizelmanovic, uh, was was given this uh, award for uh, doing astro- astronomy-related uh, science initiatives. So mostly uh, science education um, activity. And uh, staying in Spain, or um, actually we're not staying in Spain, unfortunately, uh, would be nice, uh, but um, staying with uh, Spanish activities, uh, there was another interesting thing published on escepticos.es, uh, which is the, the website of uh, ARPS APC, and uh, that was about the different events happening across Spain since 2010 and there is a map showing the different locations where these uh, regular or one-off events are happening and since uh, 2010 there has been 600 events uh, across the country um, promoting science and skepticism which is yeah which is quite impressive Um, so pretty good well done and uh Yeah, keep up the good work, Spanish skeptics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In UK, the excitement is all around (laughs) due to approaching general elections. Okay. Because we don't have enough general elections in a year. We just need more (laughs) of that. And of course, um, as the elections approach, um, politicians give talks and interviews and talk a lot of shit uh, on radio and TV. Um, and one of those politicians who gave an interview recently was the um, uh, UK Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson. And um, he's been given... The British Donald Trump? <laughs> he's been given an interview uh, to a radio, um, BBC Radio 4 programme and um, just throwing statistics around nilly-willy, whichever way, just to make it sound impressive. Um, so a part of his uh, conversation was how he boasted about um, when he was a mayor of London, um, it was the fourth biggest French city in the world because uh, 400,000 French residents lived here. And actually there was only 90. Um, and that wouldn't put London even in the top 40 uh, French cities. Um, And then he was talking about that all the kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers in the world, one in seven were educated in British British universities, and that turned out to be false as well. And then he was talking about the, um, I don't know how many listeners were aware, but um, before the Brexit, there was a bus that was going around the country with a massive writing on it. Let's give our NHS the 350 million the EU takes every week. Now, well, first of all, that's never going to happen. But also the 350 million wasn't the right figure either. Um, And he confirmed that that's still the case in that interview. And anybody who can Google anything can easily find that that figure actually is much lower. It's 250 million a week because we get a rebate. Um, So... Yeah, but that's besides the point. We're not gonna we're not gonna invest anything in EU. In, in, in we're not gonna invest anything in NHS. So um, here here it is. It started already. Um, I can't even imagine w- what we're gonna be exposed to as the uh, elections approach. But you know, watch that space. There'll be more to come, and um, the. Uh, Radio 4, more or less, program uh, doing a good job uh, fact-checking 
some of the politicians and their statistics. Um, but we need more of these kind of programs and, and uh, also the um, um, online journalists uh, talking about it as well. Moving on to Germany. And uh, there are a um, couple of podcast-related um, news uh, from Germany. Uh, one of them is a new skeptical podcast. Yay! Having, having been launched, um, that is called. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pronounce the name. Go on. Uh, Nach and it means um, interview. What's happening is uh, the they interview people uh, from the different parts of the skeptical activism uh, spectrum and um, in German the, the f- in German yeah in German um, and the, the first episode features uh, physicist Michaela F- uh, Fort and Caroline Sneeders uh, um, and who talks about the group regional group in Hamburg and uh, on critical thinking and stuff so that's very good and mm-hmm. another podcast related news uh, from also from Germany is um, a podcast award for uh, the one that's called Smart Light uh, in in translation uh, Schlaulicht is the original name and uh, there is a, a German podcast o- uh, award that that was given to this uh, podcast uh, for 2017 they have published 23 episodes so far um, on topics ranging from evolution to volcanoes and robotics and, and stuff like that. So mm. it's pretty interesting. Very yep. good. Go, go Germany. <laughs> Moving on to Sweden, where I live. Uh, <laughs> I've talked about the Swedish... Good for you. <laughs> I've talked about the Swedish edition of the free newspaper Metro before on the show. Yep. Uh, they are running something called the Viral Monitor, where they comment on viral news every day, uh, indicating what can be confirmed and not. And uh, they also have a browser add-on uh, that I've spoken about to warn about fishy websites if you install it into your Google Chrome or so. They also named uh, 13th of March the Source Checker Day earlier this year, and uh, that brought us in contact with Bethania Palma of Snopes.com, because she was here to cover that. And we interviewed her then on episode 70. Well, uh, Metro continue to fight the good fight. And in my hand here, I have the May 3rd edition, which they celebrated as uh, the Freedom of the Press Day, uh, which was not their invention. But what they did was they they had... uh, The front page was full of uh, obvious fake news. Uh, The big headline was that global warming is necessary for the football season in Brazil and that the zoo in in Sweden will feature live Triceratops dinosaurs. And uh, at the very top they have written that these news are unbelievable uh, in a clickbait sort of way, just to make sure that people understand that this is... Do you know what I think? Yeah? No. I bet like 20% of people who read this will be like, hey! Yeah, well, they say <laughs> they also have stamps of fake news all over the first page. So so I, I don't think the risk is big. You. And inside the actual paper, they have uh, several articles about how important it is to be able to rely on the news media. So good for Metro. They continue to do good work in this area. Talking about our home countries, let's move on to Hungary. 
because uh, there, there there was a great development in one of the cases. I don't know, I, I couldn't find uh, the episode on which we talked about this, but do you remember me talking about a, a, a child who basically starved to death because the parents did not want the, the child to undergo operations and uh, and and they did not follow the the GP's recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead they they took took the the boy to a naturopath. The boy eventually died a terrible death. Hmm. Yeah, and uh what happened was uh, th- what the um, the problem was with the with the child and uh, he should have been uh treated uh and even operated on uh, was uh, the hydrocephalia. The cerebrospinal fluid builds up um, within the brain and that causes problems. And that leads to um, the the dysfunctionality of uh, eating and stuff. So basically, even though the the kid was fed, the the body rejected everything. Hmm. And this is why it should have been treated. And uh, it could have been operated on, actually. Um, that's then the, the, the usual uh, procedure that they follow. And um, this is why, because it was a well-situated family uh, financially, so it was not because of of the, the kid not having enough to eat. Uh, they tried to feed him, but, but it was unsuccessful, and they didn't uh, seek uh, special treatment. So... Um, this is why it was first reported as the the case of the the boy being fed sunlight um which is which is not the case uh, it, it was absolutely made up that 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 thing but there was a sentence at the at on on the first level and then there was an appeal uh and uh, the now the actual um uh, final sentence has been announced so there is no room for appeal this time and uh the the Parents and the grandparents who were equally involved or almost equally involved in this, um, they got a um, slightly uh, lighter sentence of 12 years in prison. Wow. Uh, for, uh, yeah, for basically uh, killing their child out of uh, carelessness. But what the major difference from a skeptical point of view is in terms of the final result is that the actual naturopath has been sentenced. So the original sentence was one year in prison, suspended, uh, and uh, five years um, of excluding the the naturopath from the, their profession. But now the final uh, sentence is three years in prison, no suspension. Uh-huh. And uh, a lifetime prohibition of practicing that's good uh, na- naturopathy, which is very very good uh, from a, p- a skeptical point of view. And uh, the the actual GP, the um, the pediatrician, uh, got one year uh, suspended sentence um, in prison, um, but. Yeah, she was. She basically did say so. So what the problem was with her actions is that she she did not push for uh, the treatment. Uh, so she basically let the, the the parents do 
their madness um, and that what what led to the death of the child. Mm. So yeah, and um, when it comes to the actual questions from the judge, he even talked about uh, placebo and and why this nonsense uh, practiced by the naturopath. Uh, how how on earth could that have been um, uh, valuable and and uh, used to actually treat the boy when um, he needed special treatment? So, well, it's it's it, it sounds weird to say that it's a positive outcome, but because it cannot be a positive outcome in this case, but at least uh, from our perspective, the naturopath got what he he deserved. And uh, yeah, the parents are in a in a terrible situation as well. But they were silly enough to let this happen. Mm. Yeah, over to you, Pontus. <laughs> Moving over to Ireland. Uh, the thing is, do we really need blasphemy, blasphemy laws in Europe today? Uh, it's a rhetorical question, I know. I'm sure that many of our listeners are familiar with the actor, author and debater Stephen Fry. And many of you have probably also seen a TV interview online when he was asked by a famous TV presenter called Gay Byrne uh, what he would tell God if he got a chance to meet him after death. And Stephen Fry's answer went viral. And I will play a short clip here for you if you haven't heard it, and we will link to the full YouTube clip as well. Suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as theodicy, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? Hmm? So he doesn't mince his words, Mr. Fry. <laughs> uh, apparently a member of the public made a complaint to the police when seeing this, uh, uh, this uh, interview. And uh, uh, Stephen Fry is now under investigation for breaking the law, which can result uh, in a maximum uh, fine of €25,000. So, yeah, this is ridiculous. And, and Stephen Fry is getting a lot of support. And it's uh, said that prosecution against him is, is very unlikely. But still, how can we have this uh, situation today in Europe that where you cannot say what you want about religion? Is, is God so easily offended that you have to protect him with police? Uh, very uh, strange to me. So I, I wanted to look into the situation in Europe in to, in today. And the following European countries have laws against blasphemy today, or they have something similar for disrespecting religion in, in, in some way. So we have Austria, Denmark, Finland, uh, France, Germany, Greece, Ireland, of course, uh, Italy, Malta, Poland, <laughs> Switzerland, Turkey, and also the UK. Uh, Iceland and Netherlands have recently repealed their blasphemy laws and Norway has a blasphemy law that is said to be dormant. That means that they will not uh, use it, it's but it's still there in the books. So 
I, but I, what I hope from this case, I don't think uh, Stephen Fry will have to pay any fine, but I think that this can start a debate mm-hmm. uh, on why we have these laws and perhaps getting it started to get rid of them, because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm really hoping for this to backfire yeah. from, from, from their perspective. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope for the backfire effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Nice. Staying in Ireland, actually, um, another thing happened. There was a Dublin screening of the anti-vaccine propaganda film, uh, Vaxxed. Mm. And our friend, who's an autism rights advocate and activist, uh, Fiona O'Leary from Ireland, put together a bit of a, a, bit of a, a protest. And uh, uh, she also called on the Minister for Health to introduce legislation that will end this scaremongering and 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 uh, all based on nonsense and not based on actual evidence. Well, this made it to the Irish Times, actually, which is uh, a great achievement uh, because that's a widely circulated newspaper and news outlet. But the problem is that the event still went on. And based on uh, Fiona's Facebook posts, um, the event was not as much of a success as the organizers had hoped um, because it only attracted about 60 people mm. so that that's not at least not the 350 people uh, audience that that could be gathered in london if you remember um uh, fiona talking about that on the show so yeah hope that had something to do with uh, fiona's actions but uh, what she's doing and her group is doing is absolutely amazing. Mm. And it's very, very important. Yeah, she's very so, relentless. She's not absolutely. Yeah, no rest for her. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's absolutely the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Quite a few things that we talked about today. Europe is full of action when it comes to skepticism these days. And that's very uplifting to see. Uh, but some people are still very, very wrong in Europe. So let's see what Pontus can tell us about that. So today I'm going to talk about uh, genetically modified tomatoes in uh, Europe. There is, mm. <laughs> there is a research group at the Sainsbury Laboratory in the UK, led by a professor, Sofian Kamun, Kamun, sorry if I butchered that. Uh, but in this uh, group, they have used the CRISPR-Cas9 technology to switch off a gene in tomatoes in order to make it uh, resist mildew. So we haven't talked, I think, about CRISPR-Cas9, but this is the new technology that came out just uh, a year and a half or two years ago, where you can go in and very precisely edit uh, DNA in in uh, well to to achieve uh, things in a, in a way that hadn't been possible before so they've used that technology on tomatoes and they switched off the gene and this gene uh, makes the tomato resist mildew and mildew is a form of fungus and it's a big problem for tomato uh, farmers so this is good news right they haven't added anything to the plant and there's a big reduction in pesticides and everybody should be very happy. Or they would be if it wasn't for the backwards policies of regarding GMO in the EU. 
because GMO is forbidden in EU and therefore in the UK and there's no possibility for the Sainsbury laboratories to get permission to do field tests and even less chance for them to getting these tomatoes to market. If they were able to, through selective breeding, produce a tomato with exactly the same genetic setup, uh, there would be no problem. But because of the much more efficient and quicker method, uh, CRISPR-Cas9, this tomato is classified as a GMO and the story ends here and we will never have the benefits of uh, better tomatoes and less pesticide use in Europe because mm. of this. Very sad. Very sad and, and stupid. Where and so wrong. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's wrong. It, it, the le legislation is because of the wrong reasons. It's because of fear and not because of fact. Yeah. There could be a chance to bring this tomato to the US which has a different view on, on GMOs, but it seems very unlikely because it's not the focus of Sainsbury's to do that, apparently. So, for being totally backwards and driven by irrational fear rather than uh, science, the EU regulations regarding GMO is, in my opinion, really wrong. And again, it reminds me of what uh, Sophie said, uh, Sophie Van Turnut, mm. um, about that. You remember when, when she said uh, she approached a couple of people and they said, oh, yeah, we, we already knew about this, but yeah. this is not what the public wants. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. And that should not be the base. So, the, yeah, when, when you talk about democracy, it's difficult because... Um, in a way, you want people to have a say in everything, but in another way, you want politicians to act responsibly, which sometimes includes uh, going against the will of the public. Yeah. But there is a very fine line between the two, and and it's not it's not easy to find a balance because you can easily go and say, yeah, I'm doing this for the good of the people, and you just uh, want your power uh, want uh, to to be absolutely vast and limitless uh, and that's happening across europe as and indeed the world as well so uh and that's difficult but it, it it needs your clear judgment in a way but when it comes to legislation in terms of gmos in terms of vaccination and stuff it's it's very clear that the science should be followed yeah but it's, it's very hard it since politicians have well you know they are forced to listen to to the public, of course, and if the public is misinformed, the politicians will take the wrong uh, wrong decisions, and because otherwise they will be put out of office, and then there will be another politician who will do what the public say, even if the public is wrong. So, uh, just to be clear about clear about GMOs, I'm not saying that it's never dangerous to do genetically modifications to something. Of course mm -hmm. it can be, but it can also be good. The technique is neutral in, from that point yeah. of view. It's yeah. what you do with it that can be good or bad. So what you yeah. should regulate is, of course, people doing bad things, but letting them do good things. And the other thing is that we talk a lot about um, scientists not communicating their uh, their meth methods and the the findings of science properly towards the public. But that's also the case with politicians. 
so if you if you do have to make legislation uh, that go against the the will of the public, then part of your job is to stick to that legislation, but also to make the public understand why you do that. Yeah. Right. So it's a communicational issue um, that that it becomes, and uh, it's yeah, um, and. Uh, I know this from uh, from experience in being responsible for groups as a tour guide uh, for for many many years. Uh, that's interesting when you you need to change something when you need to do something and make the whole group do something that they don't want to, hmm. uh, but you have a a reason for that to 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 be done. Uh, then your job is to explain that in a way that they understand and they realize that it really is the best option. And sometimes you come across situations when it's very, very difficult to sell it. Hmm. Uh, so I'm not talking about visiting visiting a place or not visiting another place, but that could be an issue as well. So yeah, it's 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 a small sample that I've I've had, but but still it's uh, very con- it's been very consistent in my uh, practice as a tour guide uh, that when there is an issue you have to communicate and and that's and I'm I'm very convinced that politics work the same way um, because you're doing it for the for the good of the people uh, anyway thank you very much Pontus thank you let's listen to a couple of audio clips uh, promoting uh, the actions of our skeptical friends across Europe and the globe and see what happens afterwards. Do you live in or near Glasgow? Or are you planning to visit sometime? Then you're in luck, because Glasgow Skeptics have got your Monday nights sorted. We're committed to filling up every available Monday night with talks on science and scepticism. Past speakers include Eugenie Scott, Jerry Coyne, Michael Marshall, Nate Phelps, Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance, PZ Myers, Richard Wiseman, AC Grayling, Noah Heath and Eli from The Scathing Atheist, Simon Singh, Rebecca Watson, and a multitude of local academics and sceptics. There's literally nothing better you can do on a Monday night in Glasgow that doesn't involve taking your clothes off. So come join us. We've also got a vibrant online community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and get involved with the discussion. Glasgow Skeptics. Self-help for your brain. It never ends. A friend starts talking about his new Reiki master, and someone else just posted about another all-natural cancer cure that they don't want you to know about. As skeptics, we dedicate a lot of time trying to protect those around us. But there's a way that you can reach millions. Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia is a group that is working to keep the best skeptical information at everyone's fingertips in all languages. Join us. Training is self-paced and fun, and we have our very own super-secret Facebook group. You will be educating the world in your sleep. To find out more, email us at gsowteam at gmail.com. Gorilla Skepticism. The time is now. Music by binsound.com. 
Okay, and what happens now is we're coming to the end of the show. So to finalize the show, we have Yelena to give us a quote. I have chosen a quote from Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, writer, and philosopher. He said that people almost invariably arrive at their belief not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Mm. Hmm. To ah. this, I say, let's make science attractive. And attractive. <laughs> Except, that... of course, facts sometimes are very ugly. So yeah, That's a good quote from Jelena Levin. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's make science attractive. Very good. Blaise, Blaise Pascal. Mm-hmm. Do you know, guys know what, what's named after him? Uh, what the... I normally do, but I'm too too tired. I feel like I I feel like I do. It's what what is measured in Pascal's? Ah, that is the measurement, yeah. What 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 is the is it the measurement for? It's pressure. Ah, pressure. I was going to google it. Yeah. <laughs> Pascal is the SI derived unit of pressure used to, to quantify internal pressure stress. For some reason it's been my favorite measure um, in physics, I, I have no idea why that okay, is. Okay, and just guess what's my favorite measure is. What, I, have, I haven't fucking got one because it's a really weird thing to have. It's <laughs> 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 my favorite measure. Yeah, okay. Never mind. You're such a geek. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. You're I'm not. very I'm geek. Not. Oh, yes, you are. I'm just a science enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Okay. So thank you very much for the quote. And indeed, thank you very much for joining me today, Yelena and Pontus. Thanks for your company. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the country. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rapp, and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yeah, Lubomir Baburov from... (laughs) (laughs) What? This is how prepared we are. (laughs) From Bulgaria. Sorry. Okay. But I I wasn't sure if we should be doing the royal death thing because even though I just find the whole royal thing is ridiculous and so if we have time I'll do it but if not maybe we won't
you know well look at the list look at the list of items yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. we have enough do you know what i'll de- i'll delete it fuck fuck the royals <laughs> fuck the royals okay fuck the motherfucker fuck the motherfucker okay uh, yes today we're going to talk about ge- genetically modest <laughs> sorry what, what yesterday we're going to talk about that yes today okay <laughs> okay sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure, Thank guys. You. Thanks for very good stuff. For what? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for it, like being here. <laughs>